The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. I feel the need at the beginning of this message to set the record straight a little bit, because it could be confusing, especially if you're a visitor here. There are some that think it's Easter, so we're going to talk about the resurrection that we have to preach about the resurrection because it's Easter. That's actually backwards. It's so much bigger than that. We preach not about the resurrection, but because of the resurrection. Without the resurrection, our preaching is in vain. Without the resurrection, if Jesus isn't raised, then the doors shouldn't be open. They should be closed. We should just leave. We're still in our sins. Our faith and our preaching is in vain, and we are most to be pitied. The early church went from what the Jews practice is doing synagogue and worship on the seventh day, Saturday, to the first day of the week. The early believers started meeting then because that was the day that Jesus rose, and the whole church is built on the resurrection. The doors are open because the tomb is empty. That's why we're here. That's why we preach. Without that, we have nothing. It's not like you just lose one thing from the picture. If you lose the resurrection, you lose everything. So we are here. When we say the Lord is risen, because He is risen, we are here, and we preach, and we believe, and we worship. So let's pray together. Father, now we come, and we pray, O oh God, that you would open up your word, that we would be in alignment this morning with everything that you have said, with everything that you have done, everything that you have promised. I pray that this morning we would reckon with reality, the reality of the resurrection, and that we would see how wrong we are to not know who Jesus really is. So show us, show us Christ this morning by the power of your Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that raised him from the dead, that same power, oh God, be at work in us who believe. And may there be some who would come to believe by that power for the first time. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm aware that some of you will be visitors. You haven't been with us as we've been going through the book of Acts. So I want to begin not with verses 17 to 26, which I'll be preaching, but I want to catch you up to speed in verses 1 to 16. In Acts chapter 3, it all started with a miracle. There was a man lame from birth, and he was always at the temple gates begging for alms, begging for money. And everybody recognized him because he was always there. One day he asked the apostle Peter, 
asked him for money. And Peter says, silver or gold, I don't have. But what I do have, I give you in the name of Jesus, be healed. And he grabs the man by the hand and God strengthens his ankles and his legs and he walks. He's lame no more. He's leaping like a deer. He's going all around. I mean, you've seen the, the, the YouTube videos probably where somebody goes from not being able to hear anything ever to the first time they can hear. They just start crying. They don't know what to do. It's just overwhelming. Or if you see something for the first time, if you can walk for the first time, guess what's going to happen? You're just going to be jumping around everywhere. And then he starts just clinging to Peter, and it causes a commotion. There's a crowd that gathers, and they, they see this guy, and they're like, that used to be that lame guy. And now look at him. He's running around, and he's, he's grabbing onto Peter, and Peter sees this crowd forming, and he realizes that there is some misplaced awe happening. And it needs to be redirected because the, the awe is being directed right now at the, at the miracle and at Peter. And Peter says, why do you stare at us as if by our power or by our piety this man is walking? No, no. It is the name of Jesus. By faith in his name, this man is walking. He's trying to redirect them from this misplaced awe to be in awe of Jesus. It's proof that Jesus is alive. They're forgetting that the miracle is a sign. Now, like I said a few weeks back, you know what a sign is, right? So if you go to Great Lakes Candy Kitchen and you get like the best ice cream bar ever invented, and when you're going there to the North Shore and you see the sign, you don't stop by the sign and eat it. Right? It's pointing to the place that has the ice cream bar. Or if you were to come up to my office on the fourth floor, here's what you wouldn't do. You wouldn't go to the sign next to the door, Jason Meyer, pastor for Preaching and Vision downtown, and start talking to the sign. Right? If I'm in my office and I see you talking to my sign, I'm going to think something's wrong. In the same way, Peter is saying, this is just a sign. It's not the point. It's a pointer. We're pointers to the one who died and rose again and is alive and has poured out all that you've seen, Acts 2. And now he's saying, this Jesus is alive and he is the one. By his power, by his piety, he has given this man the power to walk. So now what Peter does is he begins to preach. And he wants them to understand something. Because here's the rub. He's saying this miracle is a pointer to the fact that Jesus is alive. This Jesus whom you murdered. You can feel the gravity of it. It's a little bit like understanding in Genesis chapter 50 when Joseph's brothers have betrayed him, mistreated him, think that he's dead, and suddenly they realize it's him 
he's alive, and they think, oh no. Is he going to punish us? Peter's trying to help them come to grips and reckon with this. So in Acts chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, he says this, But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life. What happened? Whenever we sin, Paul said in Romans 1, sin is this. We know there's a God. We suppress it, and we refuse to honor him as God. Same thing happened again. Jesus, God in the flesh, came to earth, and they have not honored him. They have, in fact, dishonored him. How? By disowning him. Notice what he says. You denied the holy and righteous one. That word means disown. And Peter's not like holier than thou at this point because he himself has denied Jesus three times. He's saying, you have done this. You have disowned him. You did it when you handed him over to Pilate, even when Pilate wanted to release him. You disowned him, and there was a double injustice. The one who is the the righteous and holy one, never sinned, innocent of everything, you had him killed so that the innocent was declared guilty. And double injustice, you had a murderer, Barabbas, who was guilty, be released as innocent so that the guilty was innocent and the innocent was guilty. This was the greatest injustice ever committed in human history. And irony of ironies, the author of life, the one who gave all of you life, you denied the author of life any life at all. You had him be killed. Now, there's a reversal that's coming. And in verse 15, he says, God raised him from the dead. The resurrection is the great reversal. It is the reversal of all the dishonor that humanity has shown. There is divine honor honor by God in the resurrection, saying everything that he said was true, everything that he did was right. His sacrifice was completely accepted, and now he says, rise, this is my beloved son. The complete reversal of the dishonor, the resurrection, is the giving of honor by God the Father and undoing all of the dishonor shown to his son. So now, dishonor turns to honor. Lies are overturned by the truth. They go from thinking he is guilty to seeing they are guilty. Thinking he is blaspheming to realize they are blaspheming. Thinking he is finished and realizing, no, it is finished. He has won He has overcome the grave. Now what happens? What happens is Jesus is now alive. The one that they dishonored. The one that is going to be their judge. 
Everyone's going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. So he says, here's what you need to do. We pick up in verse 17 through verse 26, three things that Peter says in his response. Number one, he says, they did not know what they were doing. Verse 17. But verse 18, God knew exactly what he was doing. And therefore, in verses 19 to 26, they have to repent and receive all that God has done through the resurrection. So let's, let's look at it together. Verse 17 first. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. He's using the Old Testament distinction in Numbers 15 between sins of ignorance and sins of presumption. Unintentional sin and intentional sin. Accidental sin and high-handed sin. And he's saying, you didn't know what was going on. You didn't know that you were killing the author of life. Not to excuse it. Unintentional sins, even in the Bible, require a sacrifice. He's not saying this is excused. He's saying this is in contrast with all that God knew that he was doing. Look at verse 18. His point is not to excuse the ignorance, but to contrast human ignorance with divine foreknowledge. Verse 18. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. So watch what he's doing. He's saying, you were completely unaware of everything that was going on here. God knew exactly what he was doing in fulfillment of all the prophets. So he's creating this space in which he says, you were wrong about everything. You were wrong about all that the prophets have spoken to you. You were wrong about all that God was doing. God was over here doing all of this in fulfillment of all that the prophets have spoken. So look where you are. Look where God and his word is. What should they do? Repent. Realignment. Total realignment. That's what he says, verse 19. Repent, therefore, and turn back. You see what this is? Here you are. Here God is in all of his word. What should you do? Repent. Repent of being wrong about who Jesus is and what God was doing and be realigned with God and his word. Repentance means that there is this change of mind coming from a change of heart and therefore a change of direction. You turn back. Isn't this example in the parable of the prodigal son, exactly what we're talking about. The prodigal son leaves his father and his family, goes off on his own, and then what does it say when he reaches rock bottom? When he came to his senses, what did he do? Did he stay there in that place? No, he says, no, I'm going to go back. He comes to his senses, goes back to his Father. That's what Peter's saying to them. Look how far off you are. Repent and come back. Turn back. Now, what is he getting at? 
I remember in college, we had dorms like quads where you had four rooms that were lined up like this, two college students in each room. So we had eight of us, and there was a central living room, and there was a, a TV in there. And we had one of our friends who loved the Three Stooges. Now, when I mean love, I mean loved. Like, he would laugh harder than any human I've ever heard watching the Three Stooges. You know, all of this stuff, like, like here, here he goes, like this. He's, like, he's just exploding with laughter. I will never give that impression again, by the way. <laughs> He's just exploding with laughter. So even when we're trying to study, we just can't because close the door, you can still hear him. So after a while, you're like, if we can't beat him, we're going to join him. So we're out there watching him, watching the Three Stooges and more watching him laugh at the Three Stooges. And we had other friends that would come into our living space to, to participate in this merriment. And then one day, one of my friends stood up, coming from another dorm. He just got up and he said, Final exams are coming. I got to go get my life together. And he walked out the door. Now, what do you think the rest of us are doing there? Final exams are coming. I need to go get my life together. And we're all sitting there watching him leave, and like one by one, we're like looking at each other like, yeah, let's go get our lives together. <laughs> let's, let's go get ready for final exam. Peter is saying that here. They're all looking around at each other and realizing, do you realize that we just put a death sentence on God Almighty? Do you realize that, that we had him crucified, that we disowned him and dishonored him, and now he's alive and he's going to be our judge? We've got to get ready for final judgment. We need to be ready. That's what Peter's saying. It's time to get right with reality, with the resurrection. That's what repentance is. Now, have you ever reached a moment where you've realized the same thing? But that's where we are today. If, if you think to yourself that right now you are going to give an account not just for some abstract standard, someday, some impersonal way of viewing sin. Do you really believe that on that day when you stand before the judgment seat of Christ, that you're going to say, well, I was pretty good. I didn't do too many. Th I didn't commit any really big sins. I mean, nobody's perfect. Do you know what sin is? Do you know how you're going to be judged? You're not just giving an account in general for things. You're giving an account to him, which means all sin is against him. Like David said in Psalm 55 in his repentance, against you, you only have I sinned, which means every time that you prefer something else to him, it is a sin against him. Here's what sin is. Sin is when you look at the worth of Christ and call it unimportant. When you hear the words of Christ and they're unwelcome. When you see the power of Christ 
and it's unimpressive. When you see the work of Christ and it's unnecessary. When you see the beauty of Christ and you say it's unattractive. All of those things, all of those times are sinning against Christ because He is worthy of all of our praise, which means every time that we look away from Him, disregard Him, dishonor Him, dismiss Him, and turn to something else, prefer something else, live our own way, we are going to give an account for every time we did that. This is so personal. Repentance is when you come to the point where you realize that. That you're going to stand before the risen Christ on the judgment seat of Christ and give an account for all of the ways that you have dismissed and dishonored the worth of Christ. So repentance means realignment with the reality of the worth and beauty and power and excellence and majesty of Jesus. Then what? What happens when you repent? Hear this. There is no good news for you on this side of repentance because Christ did not die for the denial of sin. If you are denying that you are a sinner, there is no sacrifice for you. Hope is only on the other side of repentance because it's only confessed sin that becomes forgiven sin. Watch what he does. Once you repent, you get three Christ-centered promises that you receive. Verses 19 to 21. You get, number one, the removal of sin. Number two, the refreshing from the presence of the Lord. And number three, the restoration of all things in the second coming. Here is the good news of the gospel. When you repent of all of your sin, what happens? First thing, your sins may be blotted out. What a wonderful word picture this is. In, in the ancient world, they had like papyrus and they didn't have like ink like we have that actually kind of bleeds into the paper. It, it didn't have the kind of acid that does that. So it just stayed on the surface of the paper, which meant you could take a wet cloth or something and wipe it away where you get the phrase a clean slate. That's what happens when you repent of all of the sin that's on your slate. Jesus takes it and wipes it away so that it's gone. What a Savior! All of our sin. It's not like my friend who said, I get my life together and work hard for this final exam. There's no work to do. There's no getting ready. I've got I to gotta be worthy enough to overcome all the times I've sinned. No, I just need to say it. It happened, Jesus. I did this against you. I was wrong in all these ways. And they will all be wiped away. That's the cross that we preach. Who could be here to preach otherwise? Only those who are 
forgiven and free and clean slate. But that's not it. That's only one part of the promise. The second part is in verse 20. That times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Oh, Christian, do not think that somehow the gospel means only the removal of something, the wiping away of something. It is the giving of something, namely the giving of God himself. We get his very presence. God is the gospel. We get what we were made for when we go back to Jesus, have all of our sins wiped away. We have also restored the very relationship for which we were made. When we were walking with him in the cool of the day, we get to go back to that. What do you think the prodigal son did? When he came to his senses, realized how wrong he was, came back to his father, you think he just had the debt forgiven? Then he said, see you, Dad. No, it's the relationship that's been restored. We now have this relationship with God. He died and rose again. Why? To bring us to God. That's what happens. Get this picture, right? In the gospel, what happens is this divine courtroom changes from a criminal trial to an adoption ceremony where we now belong to him and we have his presence forever. Not just he brings us to God, but God comes to us. The times of refreshing might come to us by the presence of the Lord. Yes, forgiveness says you can go free. Adoption says you can stay with me forever. What a gospel! But it's not done. Have your sins blotted away? Have the presence of God come to you and refresh your life because that's what you were made for. And then third, the restoration of all things. Look at verses 20 and 21. (laughs) And that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. What we have is the completion of the story. Do you see it? Christ was born. Christ died. Christ rose. Christ ascended. Christ is coming again. That's what he's saying. He'll send Jesus to you in the second coming, to have the restoration of all things. I I once saw uh, a show. I'm not going to tell you what show it was because I don't think you should all watch it. But in this show, I just saw a clip of it where there were all these things that were done, but very intentionally left off like the last thing. Like, do the whole happy birthday song and leave off the last line. Happy birthday, dear Brad and then nothing. 
or then you, you do something else and leave off the very end. And then this episode, this guy was just so upset about that that he went back and did all of those things. Like completed it, brought closure, had to put the period on the end of the sentence. Like this is what Peter's doing. He's saying, know the rest of the story. It should be hanging out there in your mind. Like, yes, my sins are forgiven. Yes, I have the presence of the Lord come to my spirit and be refreshing me. But what about when I see him face to face? What about when all things are restored? What happens in this miracle, here's where it all comes to a point, is that Jesus is doing this miracle from heaven, and a lot of people get the miracle wrong because they think, oh, the miracle is unnatural. No, no. Miracles are supernatural. They're not unnatural. The way that God made the world and everything in it, good, 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 very good. Sin comes into the world, death through sin, disease, decay, destruction, abuse, pandemics, and all of that is what's unnatural. And then when Jesus comes, he does these things that restore the natural, to the natural order. Like, this is where it's all going, like a movie trailer saying, you see this guy that was lame and now he's leaping like a deer? It's all going that way. It's all going to the place where it's going to be restored and there's no more sin or cancer or death or abuse or decay or funerals or anything else. And he says that Your sins will be wiped away. Did you know that very word shows up again in the second to last chapter of the Bible, Revelation 21, same word. The one who wipes away our sin on that day also wipes away every tear from our eyes. It is a total salvation. He is a total Savior. It is a total package. He will not just make you right. So get this. This is what repentance does. It doesn't just make you right with God and with his word and with the resurrection and with all the Bible. You're also going to be part of when he makes all things right. Not just you right. All things right. So here's what I want to do. Here's how I'm going to close. Do you know what preaching is? Some people think, oh, preaching is like entertainment. You're just telling us about the Bible and trying to keep our attention. No, I'm not. The word for preaching is the word heralding. And in the ancient world, a herald would go ahead of an invading army and give them the terms for peace. You can either accept these terms and surrender and we will be at peace, and the army will not come and destroy you. And if you reject the terms of peace, then the herald has authority to say, then the war is on. What's happening right now? Maybe some of you have never thought about it before, that Jesus really is God, that Jesus really came, 
that Jesus really lived a perfect life, that Jesus really died on the cross, that really, Jesus really rose from the dead. He's really reigning in heaven right now. You're really going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account for all the ways that you have denied him and dishonored him and disowned him. But right now, you can face your judge unafraid because he says, if you come to me, I will receive you and forgive you. Here's the word. Here's the word I want to leave you with. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 2. How do I know what will happen if here I'm giving you the terms of peace, faith in Jesus, receiving all that he's done, repenting of all how you've lived a lie and realign with Jesus and what he's done, how do I know that he will receive you? Hebrews chapter 5, verse 2. Love this. Christ can deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward. Right there, those two words, ignorant and wayward, that's Numbers 15. Sins of ignorance, sins of presumption. Accidental sins, intentional sins. It doesn't matter what you've done. This is what it's saying. It doesn't matter how small you think the sin is or how big you think the sin is. It doesn't matter. You bring any sin to him and he will deal with you gently. He will not scold you. He will not shame you. He will not have an exasperated look on his face. He will not be frowning at you. He will receive you gently because it's not how small the sin is or how big the sin is. It's coming to him with the sin and he will forgive it. Any sin, wipe it away. If he were now to reject you, to stiff arm you, it would be going against his very nature. He would have to un-Jesus himself to start now. So, I don't want anyone to leave this place still in your sins. Jesus rose, so you don't have to still be in your sins. If you leave this place unforgiven, it's because you will leave this place with unconfessed sin. Doesn't matter how small or how big, bring it to Jesus, confess it to Jesus. What will he do? He will so gently receive you and wipe it all away. Let's pray. Father, I ask, in this moment, Oh God, in the past, you let all people go their own way, Acts 17. But now, you have fixed a day when you will judge the world and you will give all judgment over to the Son and you have given proof that he will be the judge by raising him from the dead. And on that last day, if we have refused him, we will receive such a fierce judgment. 
in facing the wrath of the Lamb, that, that people will call for mountains to fall on them and crush them and hide them. It would be better to have Mount Everest crush us than to have to face the wrath of the Lamb. Oh, God, that face will either be the most terrifying thing we've ever seen or now by faith coming to you will be the most welcome, beautiful face we have ever seen. Oh, God, as we come, deal gently with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720 13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.